Well, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 28. I can think of no greater subject to talk about than what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, you know, typically we teach through books of the Bible here at Fellowship Bible Church. Uh, But every once in a while, we take a few weeks to equip you in other areas. We kicked off the new year with some just basic but great biblical truths about how to walk with Christ and do a reset for this new year. Last week, as I said, Monty did fasting and prayer. And next week, we will get back into the book of Ephesians to finish up uh, chapters 4 through 6. But this morning, we're going to talk about, as I've entitled this message, The Great Commission, uh, because it's Fellowship Outward or Mission Sunday. So it's the Great Commission, not the Great Option. And uh, man, what a great, great subject to talk about. And I don't know about you, but I want you to watch this short clip from The Chosen. How many of y'all been generally keeping up with it? You may be familiar if you've seen it. Short clip from The Chosen. And I want you to think, does this relate to you when people talk about you going and being on mission for the kingdom of God? Take a look. I'm going to go home to Nazareth for a time, and while I'm there, I'm sending you out in every direction, two by two, specifically to our people only. Every direction, Rabbi? Yes, but not to the Gentiles. Not yet. That will come in time. But to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, just as Joshua led the 12 tribes to take the promised land. You will proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while you are on this mission, you will heal the sick and the lame by anointing them with oil. You will cast out demons. You will clean. What? Why are you all looking at me like that? Could, could you just repeat that one more time? I'm sending you out two by two, proclaiming as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Uh, how soon are we talking about here? There's that word again. I'll get to that, Simon. Hold on. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. While you are on this mission, I grant you this authority. Someday, you will have it all the time. Was that a ceremony I missed? This is it. Don't feel any different? I don't need you to feel anything to do great things. With all due respect, Rabbi, we've only just begun as students. We're not nearly qualified enough. Why would you need us for this work? He doesn't need us. He wants us. Thank you, Seep. Very good. John, if I needed religious leaders or qualified students for my ministry, I wouldn't have chosen... (laughs) Well, you get the point. You said if anyone will not listen to our words. What words exactly? What are we supposed to teach? Anything you've ever heard from me. I've only ever heard the one sermon. 
You were the best one, anyway. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. There are... Oh, so good. <laughs> that message was not just for the thousands that were there. It was for all who will hear it from now until the end of the age. How will they know it, you ask? Good question. Thanks for asking. You will tell them. And the places you will go are places I will soon go. So you are preparing the way for my arrival and helping ensure that more people are ready to hear the good news. Man, how, can you relate to that? How about that? If I'd wanted qualified leaders, I wouldn't have chosen you and you. Man, Jesus doesn't need qualifications. He needs submissive hearts. I've been on the both side of that conversation, meaning when Joe Schrader looked at me and I've been a Christian six months and he says, you're going to Daytona Beach with me to share Christ on the beaches for a week. I was like, could you repeat that, please? <laughs> or when Jen and I were dating serious, and I told her, if, you, if you're going to be able to marry me, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing, isn't it? I said, you got to come on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. Both people have to be on staff with Campus Crusade. One can't be doing a normal job and one be a missionary. She was like, you get it, right? We all can identify with those things. So this morning, as we engage this classic text of the mission of the church, it has been historically called, as you know, the Great Commission. And no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, brand new or 40 or 50 years, this message is 100% for you. No matter your temperament, extrovert, well, yeah, that's the thing Jeff does, and that's the thing pastors do, because they're qualified, or you're the world's greatest introvert. This message to be on mission is for you, because the Great Commission was given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and it's the mission of God's people. This mission is still being written until the end of history. When the trumpet sounds and Jesus returns. And until then, we're to be on mission. And here's how we say it at Fellowship Bible Church. If you go through our connecting point for new people, you know it's cultivating, connected followers of Christ. And this mission that I speak of this morning should be the mission of every church in the world. So if you happen to leave Fellowship Bible Church because you move... Guess what? You need to look for a church where this, in some way, form, or fashion, is their number one priority. My aim this morning is to first hope and pray that your hearts would be filled in amazement with the unstoppable mission of God to gather himself to his sheep from all over the world. And in doing so, secondly, that the Holy Spirit, with great power and clarity would excite your hearts in an irresistible way to join him, to make a conscious decision to submit to him in a way that says, Lord, I want to be on mission. To push past 
some of our fears. Let me read our text this morning for us. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's some context here, obviously. Jesus had pronounced on the cross one of the greatest things that he ever said, three simple but profound words in redemptive history. It is the words, it is finished, meaning on the cross, he was finished living his perfect life. He was finished suffering. He was finished removing the wrath of God for those who placed his trust in him. And he was about to send to his father. And now the mission begins. And here's what's amazing about this mission. The mission happens through me and you. The mission is God uses us. Men and women are his messengers. He could have wrote it in the sky, right? He could have done something else creative, but he said no. Here's how he, Jesus put it in John 20 through 21, or 2021. 20, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sended you. And we'll see this morning how that plays out. The bottom line is that the mission begins where redemption ends, at the cross. Howard Hendricks said years ago, very profound for me then and still today, that last words are lasting words. These are the last words of Jesus, and they are to be remembered. If I am on my deathbed, and my kids and wife gather around, and friends, and the things I say to them, will they ever forget that? No. This is the point here. Three points this morning, and the first one is the lofty claim, all authority, verse 18. Let me read it again. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what is the relationship? This is crucial between all authority, this lofty claim that Jesus makes, and the great commission. Well, I'm glad you asked it was amazing to me as I did a little digging, since Jesus said this, all authority has been given to him, that he has all authority here in Matthew 28, to go back in Matthew. And what was amazing to me is how Matthew, not only the rest of the New Testament, just, just Matthew himself picks up this thought of Jesus having authority. Matthew 1, 1 through 17 shows Jesus is legitimate heir to, heir to the throne of his father via an ancestor, David. And in 118 through 23, the angel of the Lord introduces Jesus as the promised Messiah. Matthew 2, the Magi, as you remember, come to worship Jesus as the king of the Jews, which made Herod feel threatened. And then Herod goes and kills every Jewish boy, two years old and under. He was threatened by the authority of this one, 
born and named Jesus. Matthew 3, John the Baptist announces, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, which tells us he will reign in a animals, animals. Why do you think I sit in the turkey woods and pray, Lord Jesus, make that turkey come here? And he starts walking right to me. It's a beautiful thing when it happens. All fish and wild beasts, bacteria, viruses, germs, every heartbeat, every breath, nations and governments, presidents and kings, all armies, all science, all discovery, everything. There's nothing in heaven on earth which Jesus does not have authority over. And this is what that authority means. And this is what doesn't settle well with some folks when it comes to Jesus. Because this authority means he has both the right and the power to do exactly as he pleases. And it's always perfectly good. Somebody say amen to that. Ultimately, this lofty claim is true because Jesus is God. Now, as a reminder, absolute authority has a name. And here's what the name would be. Sovereignty. And Matthew tells us that authority is the basis of the Great Commission, that the Lord's sovereignty and, and authority empowers him to give commands with the assumption that those under his commands would do what? Argue with him? Act like they didn't hear him? <laughs> no, the assumption is that you and I would obey. Did y'all notice that the Great Commission was not a suggestion? It's a straight-up command. It's as crystal clear as can be. Let me give you a few implications of this authority. When your authority is complete sovereignty, distance is not an issue to obey. No matter where we go, we go knowing that Jesus' authority is as great as it was when he said these words, no matter where we are anywhere in the world. When he spoke and calmed the storm, that was his authority. That authority we go with wherever. Secondly, it gives us confidence and boldness even when men mock and reject us. Acts chapter 4. This is what it says. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and discovered that they were uneducated and ordinary men, I get that, they were amazed and recognized these men had been with Jesus. Authority. D.A. Carson puts it this way, the son becomes the one in which all of God's authority is mediated. As the mediatorial king, the turning point in redemptive history has begun with his words, go therefore. Now, I, I say this, if you don't want to go, it's probably because your God is too small. That this is a God of absolute authority. When he says go, that's a powerful, motivating factor to go. Secondly, the loving comfort. I will be with you, verse 20b. Let me read that for us. 
I'll just read all of 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here it is. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The love and comfort, I will be with you. So I'm going to jump over to verse 19. We'll come back to it in the last point and focus here. Let's connect the dots. The one who gives us this comfort of his very presence 24-7, the theological word is omnipresence, is the same one who has all authority over heaven and earth. Here's what Jeremiah 31, 33 says. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then in Jeremiah 32, 40, and I will not turn away from them to do good. Isaiah 41 tells us, I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. So no matter what happens, no matter the response, when you and I go, you and I can say, just as the apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, Everyone deserted me, but the Lord stood by me and gave me strength. Well, that's an amen for that. That's the mentality here, this loving comfort. These words, I am always with you, literally means all the days. I'm always with you, all the days. And all him, <clears throat> him put it this way. Though he giveth or taketh, God, his children, is never forsaketh. Folks, as long as the world lasts, Jesus will be with us in this world and would bring us home to everlasting joy. If that ain't comfort, I don't know what else is this side of heaven. So having said these two very profound statements, one is I have all authority, go. Secondly, I will always be with you to the end of the ages, to the end of your life when you go. We come finally to the command, the last command, go and make disciples. Again, let me read 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The last command is built on the lofty claim of authority and the loving comfort because all authority belongs to Christ and Christ will be with us to the end. And he says, therefore, go. Here's how John Stott put it. He said, there is not a culture or ethnic group or society, or religion, or language, or neighbor, or co-worker, or family member, or stranger, where Jesus does not have the right to be worshipped as Lord and King. He has authority to be King and Lord and Savior everywhere and to everyone, and this is the reason he commands us to make disciples to all peoples of the world. This phrase, make disciples, in this text, if you've got a little technical with it, is the main verb, and it has three participles. You can go look up some English uh, rules uh, this afternoon, but three participles, go, baptize, and teach, and they're all subordinate to the main verb. Yes, go, baptize, and teach 
come to us as commands, but the main command in which they are under and subordinate to is this phrase, make disciples. Make disciples is to bring a person into the relation of a pupil to a teacher. In our context, it is to bring a person into the relation of a pupil, and the teacher is not you and I. It's ultimately Jesus Christ. A disciple is a learner, a one who has been joined to Christ, and therefore is becoming more like Christ. What sometimes we fail to realize or remember is that making disciples includes both evangelism, that's bring them into relation with Christ, and discipleship. You can't just choose one of the other as a Christ follower. As you and I grow, when I think about my life's purpose, which is, this is it, make disciples, I've got to think in the categories of both evangelism, sharing the gospel, and discipleship, which is helping them grow in Christ, feeding them the scriptures. These three participles, the first one is go. It's given both to the early church and us. It just wasn't for the first disciples. It's universal for all time until Christ returns. And if you remember back a little bit, the early church, because they're just people like you and I, they had this what I call a holy huddle mentality. They're living in Jerusalem, right? And they're like, this is home. We're comfortable here. We've been in Jerusalem all our lives. We like the food and we know everybody. I mean, we may get whipped a little bit, may get put in jail. A few of us may lose our jobs, but, but man, this is, we want to stay in Jerusalem. So what did, what did God do to get his people to go? Because he's so serious about this. Last words are lasting words. This is the purpose of life for every Christ follower. What do you do? Go read Acts chapter 7 and 8 today. He allows persecution to bust up this snobby little, little holy huddle. How about that? He busted it up and his people and disciples went to all over the world. He sent his disciples to do what they were supposed to be doing anyway, but they didn't want to go, so he worked it out so they would go. He used persecution to fix the problem. God wants to use his people. This is how God works. I'm reminded, of a, as I was studying, of the story of Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, if, if you don't know, was a missionary to China in the late eight, uh, 1800s phenomenal biography if you ever want to read it. And at some point in the 1800s, China was shut down and all the missionaries, he was from the UK, but all the missionaries from wherever they were from had to leave China. And so there was really a great panic uh, within the Christian community, missionary community. What in the world is going to happen to China with no gospel missionaries there to do the work? Well, 45 to 50 years later, when China reopened, guess what they found? More Christians than you humanly could count. The faithful, faithful, persecuted, and underground church of China had been prolific 
with these words, make disciples and go. Amazing. Secondly, baptize. What do we do? What do we do when somebody who comes into relation with the living Christ, what do we do? I just gave you the answer. We baptize them. It's a mark of identification. It is saying, I now identify with Christ. I identify for what he's done by washing me clean of my sins and identify to this new life. But it also says publicly, I no longer am the authority in my life and I submit to Christ who is now my authority and who is with me 24-7. Baptism to us has a little different twist to it than it did for the early church. If you went public in the early church in Jerusalem about being a Christ follower, you had crossed the line where you could be guaranteed persecuted. That's what it's supposed to mean. I don't care. I'm a disciple and I go. And then thirdly, teaching them. Folks, folks who have been brought into relation with Christ, they need to be equipped. They need to be taught. Say amen to that, right? We don't know. The older I get, and Jen and I have been having this conversation, where in the world would we be after 36 years if it were not for the teaching of the Word of God to give us direction and clarity and purpose? I, I, I tremble at that thought to trying to do life on my own. And to just do what I think is right, what I feel is right. Swine Fellowship Bible Church, we are so committed at teaching the entire whole counsel of God from Genesis to maps, okay? God puts his spirit in us. He gives us his word and his people so we can learn the way of following the only way. And it's just not information. We got to get away from this phrase, well, the Bible says, and that's all. It is for transformation. We teach to obey, as the text says, all that Jesus taught. Every word in the Bible is red letter. It is from Christ. Matthew 16, 18 says, and I will tell you, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's going to get it done. The question is, will we join him? Come join him in a mission that cannot fail. As Tony Evans says, every decision made by every ruler against the church and the mission of Christ will in time backfire. So what? Before Monty comes up and gives you your practical, so what? Here is the so what for all of us. Isaiah 6. Isaiah says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. We're asking that the Lord would do such a great work in all of us that our response to opportunities to go on mission would be, here I am, Lord, send me. Take a minute to ponder that as Monty comes up.